This is Lord's territory, and you got five seconds to get off. I tell you, you start counting five like a sucker. One, two, three, four. Suckers. You're listening to Don't At Me here on FBI Radio. My name is Ivy Tonya Abrikesa and I am back. It's been a couple of weeks since I've been off air because we've had the FBI supporter drive, but I'm excited to be chatting with you again. Let me just catch you up real quick. Let me just tell you now that I am vexed. I'm frustrated with the idea of representation, like not the word itself, because representation as a word has done nothing to me, but the way that people have used this word and the way that they've used words like diversity and inclusion. And I'm wondering, well, I'm beginning to wonder quite regularly what this actually means and why people that are in leadership positions uh, or roles or decision-making roles aren't, you know, taking a holistic approach to these sort of terms and not putting people uh, of diverse quote-unquote backgrounds in leadership or decision-making roles themselves because, you know, there's a lot to be said about how diversity of thought, and there's a lot of research to, you know, support this, but diversity of thought completely changes the way an organisation or whatever structure could work for the better, yet, you know, we it's still not very implemented. A lot of the time it feels a lot like lip service. So I'm a little bit over that. So just very quickly, because we're going to just get straight into it today. I'm not even going to give you a song to marinate because we got so much. I thought, you know, I've been away for two weeks. Let me just come back with, you know, three epi- like interviews in one episode instead of just the one. So today I'm going to be speaking with Dr. Jahan Kanga about their thoughts on representation, especially with their background um, within the corporate world as well as community in the arts. I'll also be talking to two arts practitioners, Mo Blessing Mature and Emile Ungavele. Very excited about that. But let me just give you a quick definition of what representation is defined as. Uh, According to the most credible of sources, dictionary.com, representation is defined as both the action of speaking or acting on behalf of someone or the state of being so represented. So generally, like in terms of legal representation, that's what that definition means. But it's also defined as the description or portrayal of someone or something in a particular way. Uh, within, you know, the art, screen, film, entertainment industries, representation generally refers to the ways that particular groups, communities, experiences, ideas or topics from a particular ideological or value perspective are portrayed. So, to like, let's just get straight into it. I'm here with Dr. Jahan Kanga. If you wouldn't mind just introducing yourself and letting us know what you get up to. I am a commercialization specialist. So I work, basically that what that means is I help bring technologies out of universities into the marketplace or sometimes, you know, I do a lot of work with startups and helping them, you know, bring their technologies uh, out and, and that can be like really commercial stuff or it can be for social impact. And mm-hmm. so I, I, I tend to work for technology with social impact as as one of the priorities, but 
but there's there's a lot of different areas of innovation that I work. And my background is in chemistry, so I, I was a material scientist at University of Sydney. I was actually an artist before I was a scientist, and that was also a very tough uh, funding landscape, so I went from one into another. So so that's who I am. But I, I, I also do a lot of work in the community space, and I've done so for 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 more than a decade probably 12 years or so and and that includes you know one of being uh, one of the inaugural community directors for the Red Rattler which is a small community run art space uh focusing on women and LGBTQI plus folk um, in Sydney and it's uh, for, you know experimental contemporary arts and community and politics and stuff so so and uh, I stepped down from the board a bit over a year ago also been supporting uh, Black Rainbow recently so that's um been really exciting working with Damien Bonson looking at indigenous LGBTQI plus health right and and the kind of advocacy that's required the training that's required and also actually actually really dealing with the the key issues and the challenges that that cut across that that sector, and because basically, if you're indigenous and and you know identify within the rainbow community, you tend to fall in the gap. Yeah. So people health the indigenous health services. There's you know entrenched homophobia and transphobia, and in also in the LGBTQIA plus services, there's systematic racism, and, mm-hmm. and some of it's you know it's not it's not intentional necessarily, but it's you know it's things like the fact that a lot of the health services are not just urban but like super urban they're like right in the middle of the city yeah right. just and and there are you know a lot of these services have you know individuals out in in country areas and in remote areas but it, it's really hard to get to get access and to get you know to really make a big impact and mm. and you know if you're working in in sexual health or in you know looking at gp services there's a and mental health there's a lot of different issues and basically the the, the resources are not being currently directed in the, to achieve impact. So that's right. working with Black Rainbow to, you know, work collaboratively with other organisations to, to to really, you know, solve the problems. I love it. <laughs> I think all the work that you do is very important. I wanted to bring you in because of all the work that you've done and because I think you're very intelligent and I thought it would be great <laughs> to have a conversation <laughs> about representation because it's something, I guess, that's been irking me a little bit as of late. We've seen a lot of news about diversity and inclusion. They're all sort of buzzwords at the moment. So I really want to talk about what representation means and the importance of actually having representation and not just on a very like shallow or like base level where you have like visibility, but taking it beyond that and putting people in decision-making roles or leadership positions. And I just, I guess I want to gauge your thoughts on that. So what do you think representation means in your mind? I think it's really important. You know, when I, it's, it's not about like sort of collecting uh, one of everyone, you know, it's not Mm. like a, it's when you look at, um, and it's not about trying to exclude some people in order to include others. It's, mm. it's about like actually looking at the equity structures. So it's like looking at the opportunity and the systems that exist to provide those opportunities and understand, okay, so how do people get into positions or like, mm. Like, how do we put together this board, and what what does this or what are these organisations or what does this team need to deliver? Like, who is it really serving? Yeah, and trying to get as many different voices, and and there's heaps of research, economic research, mm-hmm. um, statistical stuff that shows that it's not just. Um, diversity of identities, but actually diversity of views. Like having a mm. clash of, of views really allows you to get great outcomes. So okay. that's that's um and and 
we've there was a, a very recent piece of research which was written up for for lay people in Bloomberg just mm-hmm. this week around immigration. So skilled immigration in the U.S. actually has a much bigger economic impact than investment in research and development. And investment in research and development is the one of the key drivers of job growth in advanced economies. So it's you know if it has if it's even more impactful than that, then it's like this is the probably the most important driver of our economy is actually skilled immigration. So right. that's and part of the reason is is because you know immigrants and, and and skilled immigrants sort of bring you know they bring with them different skill sets and different mm. ideas but also it's it's a different way of seeing the world it's different networks it's yeah. and it's a a kind of cultural clash that you you know out of that you get you know that's that's what innovation actually is so when you know when pe- people like Malcolm Turnbull were talking about innovation everyone got excited like no one really understood what i don't think even he really understood it at a really <laughs> deep level what what innovation like really means when it mm. when you when you create an ecosystem that's like deeply innovative is it's it's an innovation it's a it's a system which is like clashing with itself and yeah. you see this in the arts and in in the community sector as well like you get all the big amazing projects are projects where groups have come together and they've come from all all walks of life mm-hmm. and you know it can be really difficult at first but you know everyone's there for the right reason for the yeah. same to get that particular kind of impact. Based off what you've just said, I think like in terms of clashing, I think, you know, you need to be challenged to be able to grow as an individual as well as a collective. So I totally agree with that. I was thinking about that, just does that sort of the role of representation and, you know, diversity and inclusion. The, mm. so it's, it's funny that sometimes the history of, of these words can mm. tell us a lot about what, you know, what, what, it, what they mean, what they've turned into and where the future yeah. is. And diversity and inclusion kind of came from a way to deal with erasure and invisibility of all, like the, the big bag of minorities, including, yeah. it was kind of driven by uh, LGBTQIA plus folk right. in, in the corporate world at mm-hmm. a time, this is now, you, you think back probably more than 20 years, mm-hmm. at a time when, you know, the AIDS crisis was still... Still a thing, or it's more more than twenty years now. It's twenty five years, and and you know, being openly gay was actually pretty radical. Like it's, right. you know, at the time Hollywood actors would come out as gay and then never work mm. again for ten years. And you know, we see that with people like Ellen who came out on the show, even though That's it was true. seems pretty obvious that she's gay. <laughs> it's like, and then she's like, I'm gay, and then it's like never get work again yeah. until she cr- literally created her own show. Right. And I think that's. That's actually the story of heaps of people from minorities that they try mm. and make it work within the system, and they and you know they do everything right. You know they they tick all the boxes. They they try to be the model minority. Absolutely, yeah. and it's like all those goody two shoes. Like every everything is like, yeah. you know everything go is is uh you know they do everything they can possibly can to like make themselves seem as the the model person to to work with and. Mm. And it, they can't get anywhere. And then they, they have to create their own, you know, because people are driven, you know, they're inspired to, to do stuff because they want to make change in the world. Well, yeah. And I think that's, uh, you know, if they can't do it inside the system, then they have to create your own create system, your own system so create your own it. companies, create your own community organizations. Yeah. And that's that's where we see some of, you know, these amazing groups come out. But mm. that diversity and inclusion that comes from that era of being totally invisible not being able to really be out mm. um, safely and to actually try and create a structure where companies can can buy into a, a lingo and buy into a, a 
a rhetoric that doesn't also you know commit themselves necessarily to any one group mm. and it's it's sort of broad enough that it's it's broad enough that it, it doesn't feel like too much pressure yeah you know I'm still a big fan of diversity and inclusion mm. and I think that's because it's a really positive way of talking about stuff and it's also really flexible you know you Okay. But it's but it's got to be more than that now. I think you know, yeah, we gotta, have to get we've, to the we've next got to, It's got to be. There's another layer on top that has mm. to like can push forward because there's, there needs to be more pressure. See, I think my I support diversity and inclusion, but lately the way that I've seen it, I guess, put into practice, and not in every instance, but in a lot of instances, it still centers whiteness and straightness and you know and that's what sort of deters me from it sometimes because you see the people that are actually working to create diversity and inclusion or speaking to diversity and inclusion within certain industries and they still like they don't really they don't seem to be what they're trying to represent if that makes sense yeah and i think that's that's that that goes to that point about the representation and leadership so it's i think that you know there's a lot of talk around there's a lot of talk i mean it, and it's it's really easy to talk. That's and it's good that people do talk. Like it's, but and actions it, but, speak a little louder. Than yeah, that absolutely. <laughs> and it's and it's sometimes it's, you know, there's there's. Oops. Chop my water bottle. Yeah, there's uh, there's quite a lot of yeah there's 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 a lot of talk and there's the, the the problem is that I think some people are actually quite afraid of making you know really bold actions because. Mm. When you take bold actions, there are consequences, and there are the consequences are actually much worse for people of color, particularly women of color. Mm-hmm. And I know that you've talked with some of your previous guests about you know some of the really extreme harassment, bullying tactics that people use, like doxing and mm. and toxic callouts and. Yeah. It's uh, but but the reality is we need people in leadership to be making those calls, and if if the people in leadership are too afraid because it's it's not their intersection, and they don't really want to put their reputation on the line mm. for the minorities that they want to try and you know elevate, then they shouldn't be in those positions. I completely agree because it's like that's not being a good ally. If you're all talk but no action, that's no, not good. No, that's just you know all. it's actually being complicit with a structure exactly and just, and just lying about the the kind of the, the all the big talk. Yeah, totally agree well then how do you think you know like obviously this is just your opinion but how do you believe that we could potentially change the way that it is right now how can we put more people who experience marginalization because of their identities into leadership positions or decision-making roles and you know what are the implications of that besides what you said before about diversity of thought what are some other positive implications I like that you also made mention of like you know, the economy, because we live in Australia, it's quite a capitalist country, so it's good to make reference to that. But what are some ways that you think we could change the landscape? It's taken me a long time to sort of realise this, but uh, and talk about the economy because it's actually like, it's, you know, people getting jobs and paying rent, you know, all that stuff, that's that's the reality of people's lives. It's, people mm. spend most of their lives either asleep or at work. <laughs> you know, they're like, yeah. they're, they're, and, and then they sort of interact with the health system and the public, you know, education system and, and other systems. But mm-hmm. like, and when they, when you look at like on a moment to moment basis, they are interacting in workplaces and they're, 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 they're interacting in, in sort of public life in a way which, you know, they, if, if you're in a minority group, you have to be sort of hyper vigilant. And yeah. so from my perspective, I think it's, actually thinking about you know how do people find work are we really a meritocracy mm. or are we do we give jobs on the basis of you know 
jobs for the mains, yeah. uh, which is just nepotism. And yeah. I think we have a real problem in Australia around nepotism. We can see that, you I, know, Malcolm Turnbull <laughs> hired all, all his mates, he, you know. Yeah. Um, you know it's innova- very evident. You know, in Innovation Australia or ABC, you know, it's, it's like they're all they're all, all mates of Malcolm. It's, it's mm. You know, and some of them are very talented. That's the thing. But, no doubt, you know, but, yeah. But it's also like, was there an open, you know, transparent race to get, you know, get those jobs? Like, mm. And I think that's that transparency and, you know, every, every job all the way from leadership all the way down should be merit-based and if it's and then we need to also look at how we support all communities to Mm. achieve merit yeah right so it's like actually look at the fundamental structures of our you know of of our you know of our society that set providing you know educational opportunities Mm -hmm. in primary school and you know the gifted and talented programs that exist and and then high school and the resources for extracurricular stuff. Mm. Most kids, most, you know, if you're a refugee background or you're Indigenous or, you or you know, if you're LGBTQIA+, mm-hmm. you know, you have different challenges to overcome. And, you know, some of them might be financial, which means you can't access extracurricular activities that might actually lead to your first job or your or maybe opportunities to look at scholarships mm-hmm. but it's also that you know the other challenges come in other ways and mm. i think you know if we deal with it's not just you know it's like top down in terms of like leadership and and the work opportunities but it's like bottom up as well like and totally. Working with with children and looking at the the opportunities that we have, and you know, when that. we're investing in in education, you know, like the gov- current government's gonna dump a whole lot of money into private schools, right? Exactly. And it's what's like, well, that? it's like, why don't we just? Why can't we fund all schools? Like, exactly. what's what's the problem? Like, what's what what's this obsession with? Like, like every single child should be given like great equal opportunities, fucking opportunities. Yeah, you know, they of they need elitism. to. Be, yeah, and it's yeah. like you don't want this to two tiered societies create really poor outcomes because mm. you want you want everyone to be super productive. You want everyone to be doing like really awesome stuff. Totally. Whether it doesn't have to be you know like productive in a kind of economic sense it's like you know people are creating social impact Mm -hmm. people you know doing amazing things and working in their communities and becoming leaders like that takes that takes mentorships that takes training that takes you know knowledge that's imparted over decades and Mm. i think that's the kind of and you know if if you're not committed to that and if you're in a position of leadership and you're not you don't think about that all the time and you're not committed to try and undoing the systems that we just sort of lazily sort of fall into i think then then there's not going to be any change so yeah no. so that's why we need to like you're having that it, it is a leadership issue because it is like people in leadership have influence they've got mm. they've got resources not just cash resources but networks and people and yeah. you know conversations that they can with other influential people to to make change mm. how would you influence people in a way to make them understand the importance of Things like diversity and inclusion or representation. I always think about it as like how do we how do we work towards elevating the voices that are not being heard, and it, it, it immediately placing it outside of myself. Mm. Then you know then I'm not I'm not really f- worried so much about like you know well you know, maybe I should have that voice and and mm. someone someone said that to me I was like I'm you know I work I, I'm really interested in supporting Indigenous voices because it's like of all of the people in Australia in you know it's like there isn't like dealing with that genocide are ongoing and extraordinarily damaging for those communities. Mm-hmm. So those are the most important voices t- to elevate. And a friend of mine was like, well, we also want to hear your voice. And I was like, yeah, I mean, like, that's great. And I want you to advocate for me. Mm-hmm. But I, I kind of, if I just think about myself and trying to, trying to 
you know, advocate for myself. It's it's also, you know, who's, I feel like it's easier for other people to advocate for each other. And so if we're working in solidarity with different people and we mm-hmm. can advocate for each other, then, you know, then can push forward. And also you're not so worried about ego stuff. You know, you're not no, like, oh, I'm, I need to like achieve all of these things. It's like, no, you just like you're helping out. And, you know, maybe if you, you know, if you work positively and productively and collaboratively, other people might help you out and and work collaboratively with you. And and that kind of really positive way of framing it, it allows people to buy it, you know. And and so I think that's that's how to overcome that. Love that. What a hot tip to end on. Thank you so much for coming in, Jahan. That was fantastic. Thank you. That was Sinabo Say with I Owe You Nothing. I'm here with more blessing. Mature, we are talking about representation because, as I mentioned before, I have been a little bit vexed about representation 
in today's world. It's, uh, you know, I'm just getting really frustrated because I think there's a lot of talk about representation and how important it is, but then we still look at people that are in the decision-making positions and leadership roles, and they are not really practicing what they're preaching. There is not representation, there's not diversity of thought, and it hinders, you know, people. It trickles down and it hinders everybody else. So, more blessing. Maybe you can introduce yourself to start off with. Yeah. Hi, uh, I'm More Blessing Mature. I'm an actor and writer. I'm also the creative director of Folk Magazine, which, which is, is fantastic. The, <laughs> the publication, arts and culture publication, I started about two years ago that focuses on Australian artists of colour and their work. Mm-hmm. I am, I guess, because you can't see me, it's always a thing. Like, I think I only realised it the first time, like when I did like an on the phone interview with a journalist. And mm-hmm. then I was, we were talking about like this period piece, and I was like, I don't know if you can tell, but I'm black. So, because <laughs> I wanted to talk about, you know, like being a black person in a period yeah. piece. And I was just like, oh, she doesn't know because she That's can't true. see me. And you know um, what? She probably would have assumed you were white yeah. otherwise because they always do. Yeah. And then yeah. after I said that, the com- the questions changed, you know. They did. So I was just like, yeah. So I am black. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah. Like queer artists, that's, yeah. that's me doing, trying to do the things. Love it. You're yeah. doing all the things. Uh. Like you do so much. I'm just always like, holy uh. shit! All right, well, listen, go out there and do another thing. Love it though. Oh gosh, yeah, <laughs> it's it's good. It's yeah. Keep yourself busy. It, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. But you know, yeah, self care and like exactly. managing Important. it and doing it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, what do you think representation means to you? Mm-hmm. Oh. I was like just bringing up a like a I think it was like did I see it written I think I saw it written and it was it said your team is invariably who your audience will be, mm. um, which is it's still in my notes. Love that's, that. That's how, and it's got its own note. It's not it's not cluttered with all the other notes. It's yeah. just its own standalone one. And I think at this point, I guess in my progress and understanding Mm -hmm. and where I'm at with representation is kind of on that level now because when I started mostly as an actor as a performer as a performer of colour in Australia there's a performer full stop the Australian entertainment industry in comparison to the rest of the world is quite small so not people in artists in general aren't getting much work but Mm. that that small pool even gets smaller as you reach more marginalised communities. Mm-hmm. So when I was coming into it, it was more from like a performing standpoint where I was like realising, I don't, and I thought for a while that it maybe, maybe everyone's going through this. And I think it was um, talking to other actors or like being in rehearsal rooms with other actors and r- just taking stock over like maybe like a two-month rehearsal process, how many times people went to like castings or to auditions mm. within the same period of time. And I remember that particular rehearsal, I didn't I didn't go for any no castings or auditions. No. And it was really fascinating seeing other people in the cast, invariably white, going like they had at least one audition a week right, of yeah. the rehearsal of the like two month rehearsal process. And I remember being like, Oh, I th- oh it's <laughs> <laughs> Oh, where do I like, yeah, like just sort of like, get, I guess, getting that perspective thing. And of course, there's like a whole lot of confounding variables that come into that. Mm. But it was just on like on the average of that kind of stuff. And especially how the frequency of like those sort of opportunities, not that they ended up going and landing the gig, but just the fact that one, you 
get to practice the art of auditioning yeah every week yeah practice as opposed to oh i'll go into an audition room once every two months and just hope that i still know what to do and it's even that thing of like even when you're starting of Mm. learning the rules of how everything works it's not something that's necessarily written down or anything you Mm. just learn it through doing it and the more you do it the better you get at it there is that like i said bittersweet aspect especially now the way that i'm looking at representation in Mm. the bigger picture because the people on stage don't just end up there through happenstance and their experience of being on that stage is largely influenced by the process that they've Mm. gone through to get to that stage so particularly in theatre the three most influential roles I guess in what the final product becomes Mm -hmm. being director producer writer Right. Um, okay. I'm not sure hmm, whether it's in that order. Maybe it's writer, director, producer in terms of what ends up being on the stage. <clears throat> Whereas in screen, for example, director is usually higher than the writer. Okay. In the sense that you have like a Steven Spielberg film as opposed to whoever the person that wrote Titanic is. I don't know. I you no see? Yeah. Did he even direct Titanic? Am I, I making know, that up? Is that like Cameron guy? Oh, jeez. James Cameron. Is that the British PM or? Didn't James Cameron or is, do. Uh, oh, is it James? Remember. He did the one with the blue people. Avatar. Avatar. That's, That's it, not Spielberg? <laughs> the names are just so they're so exotic. I don't no, know. I know it's super exotic. Yeah. Um, Spielberg yeah. is it? Yeah. <laughs> oh, today. Yeah. But anyways, yeah. Yeah. And then looking at who's occupying those roles, and then if you go above that, if it's mm. for example seasoned as part of like a theatre company's season or mm-hmm. a festival or a program, who curated that who mm. was part of that decision making process who are the people and then above that who are the people giving those organizations money who is in those dis- like all of that Just who gets so to decide yeah, yeah all that stuff and fundament you can't we can't achieve like authentic or sustainable change if we just hope to change like change the faces that are on mm. the final product if we Which, don't look at the whole yeah you have to look at it from the beginning to the end yeah I completely agree I think that's where a lot of my frustration even comes from Mm -hmm. because I see I've seen a lot of people deciding that they're going to tell the stories of others Mm -hmm. and not really allowing the people that they're telling the stories for you're not actually giving agency to the people that you're telling the story Mm -hmm. about Mm -hmm. to be telling their own stories and that's an issue in itself and that's part of the whole power dynamic thing because you've decided that you're on the top so you still make the final decision but then you don't understand how that affects the people that you're talking about or how the fact that it's done through your lens as opposed to theirs changes the entire narrative as well because there's nuances, things that we don't think about. So, yeah, that's my frustration Mm -hmm. with representation and people talking about representation and advocacy in a way that I just find very uh, sickening Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) in a bad way, not sickening in a good way. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I just need to clarify that. There is this assumption that I currently am trying to work through, which is thinking that works that are created or that have people of colour or queer folks or any sort of like tangential experiences that are close to mine are for me Mm. which is a fraught assumption to make because I guess as part of that like allyship conversation Mm. there do there does need to be a space for 
well-intentioned allies or accomplices to um, <clears throat> talk to their white folks yeah. in the way that they know that white folks interpret and yeah. understand information. And, yeah, and it's often a process of me being like walking out of like a theatre or a film and be like that didn't satisfy me mm-hmm. and then sort of like working through that and trying to work out why and more often than not realising that it was just, yeah, like it wasn't made for me. It might have featured me, it might have told aspects of my story of my narrative, but it wasn't intended for me and mm. trying to be okay with that to yeah, some degree. And I think it might be, a, yeah, the frustration comes, I guess, maybe because of the lack like the palette is so small, mm. so much so that if the representations that I do see of myself aren't even made for me, it's sort of this like, well, I guess I'll just watch the white people on repeat, I guess. Oh, you'll make <laughs> something make, incredible uh, like yeah. Afro's <laughs> which I'm obsessed with. <laughs> so maybe you want to talk us through that because that is assumption that is for us by us. So oh. it's you. Please talk me through the other incredible women that are a part of that production. Oh, jeez. So Afro Sisters is a, it's currently a web series, we're hope, like hoping digital series and that it'll grow from that, which... Manifesting um, it will. Manifest, manifest. <laughs> it's in there now. About, it's a dramedy comedy series about four Afro-Australian women navigating through lives as mid to late 20s women, mm. dealing with their hair, their aunties, family, culture relationships, love, and all that jazz. Yeah, so it's uh, seven of us and we get together and write and we've released those, like, four little mini teasers. Um, I'm just like, give me more. (laughs) It's not very often that you see, like, you know, Australian, African people Mm -hmm. doing this, you know, like people that are part of, like, the African diaspora but grew up here or... Uh, moved here doing this sort of stuff because like you said it's always American and English and we always rely a lot on that because you want to see people that reflect you there is even just diversity within the black experience we're not all just doing one thing we have the capability to be whoever we want to be Mm -hmm. and which is why representation does matter so much but the fact that you're all black women and you're writing the content and creating it as well as starring in it is Mm -hmm. what I think makes it so powerful because you can have all these young people looking at that and being like, oh, wow, okay. Like we have the capacity to be able to create something incredible like Mm -hmm. this and have it reflect our communities. And it's just, it's really beautiful to see that. I love it. I love it. Hopefully this outlives us. Mm. Not necessarily Afro sisters, but the the footprint of like Afro-Australian storytellers and narratives on screen. I implore you to check it out. <laughs> I will make sure that I add the link into it, but thank you so much for coming in. That has been quite the yarn. I've had mm. a good time. And thank you for working to leave a legacy. All of the work that you're doing with just your individual work as well as with uh, the other Afro sisters is incredible. Later on in the show, I'll be speaking with Emily Ongavele on her intercultural practice workshops uh, for theatre practitioners. And we'll also be discussing her particular thoughts on what she thinks representation means. So stay tuned. Ooh. Ooh. Ooh.
Listening to Don't At Me here on FBI Radio. My name is Aya Batanya Abrikesa. So that was Kaye with Duffman. So let me just, I want to give, send an apology, like the deepest of apologies to Kaye, because I actually didn't know that was how it was pronounced. And when someone told me that was how you pronounce it, I was, I was absolutely embarrassed, like mortified, because I absolutely hate it when people mispronounced my own name i've even spoken about it on this show so kai i'm sorry anyways i am here with emily ongavele if you wouldn't mind emily just introducing yourself and letting us know about you i'm a multidisciplinary artist so i work mostly in live performance but across disciplines and always incorporating music um visual art film um movement where i possibly can mm-hmm. um and, yeah, I work as an associate producer for um, Q Theatre out in Penrith, mm-hmm. as well as the co-artistic director of Blackbirds mm. um, and the creative director of Tullinor. Okay. I think for me, um, the word intercultural kind of came into my sphere of knowledge mm-hmm. when I was studying at NIDA. Right. I had one lecture on it, and then in my second year, we had a teacher come in called Christine Langdon-Smith, who specialises in tra-cultural practice. Okay. And I was like, what is this? What are these words? Do they have something to do with me? Mm. Um, and basically, Christine's pedagogy is about um, using what you have inside you in terms of your ethnic identity and bringing that to the floor as an actor. Right. So not as a theatre maker, but with a script that already exists, how you can bring your own ethnic identity into that space. Mm-hmm. And she called that intracultural practice. An idea that I became more interested in was intercultural practice, and that's about 
how you yourself can make works that draw from your traditional performance practices as an Indigenous person and Mm -hmm. bring that together with Western theatrical storytelling practices. Mm -hmm. So, for example, me as a Tsokolawan woman incorporating uh, traditional dance, techniques of traditional dance and song into mm-hmm. a theatre space. Right. Like recontextualising it is a form of intercultural practice. Mm-hmm. And uh, growing up, I, I guess because my first introduction to theatre was really live performance through singing and dancing with my family, I've spent a majority of my time framing uh, what I know of live performance against that. Mm. And that's always about, you know, where we, we have a traditional dance called a hatele and basically families will get up and present a group dance together. So there'll be like oh, five right. lines of people dancing and singing and you have like 10 men sitting around a drum, a bokihi, and everyone sings out to the front and Mm. if your family is dancing wherever you are you just get up and join Mm -hmm. and sometimes people will stand where they're sitting and just get up and join so they won't join everyone at the front but there is that real sense of participation from everyone and that has really informed my interest when it comes to intercultural practice like how do I as a Pacific Islander what I receive when I stand up and participate with someone else's performance that they're working really hard to deliver to me? How do Mm. I kind of engage with that Mm -hmm. as a way to signify, I acknowledge the hard work that you're doing. I'm with you in this space. I'm present and I celebrate you as a a dancer, a Mm -hmm. singer or an actor without being disrespectful as well. And I think it's, yeah, it's, and theatre as we know it, especially like majority of the theatre as we know it in this city Mm -hmm. has very strict etiquette rules. Yeah. And I think that really, in my opinion, that really inhibits the experience of empathy and connection. Mm. And as an audience member, you might leave the space thinking, man, I really connected to that. I feel really sad Mm. or I feel really inspired. But there's a difference between a lived experience of you participating in and saying, I know what that felt like because I was part of that. Mm-hmm. And you're just going, I watched something really sad tonight and I'm going to go home and think about it. And yeah. so I guess the difference between participation and not participating, I'm interested in whether that's also the difference between active and inactive, being an inactive audience member and whether right. that can actually push people, if you're active as an audience member, to then go and do something mm-hmm. out in the world. If that changes makes, your understanding of yeah, interpretation of totally. like something that you've seen. Yeah, yeah totally. Yeah. I can relate to that. that yeah, it makes sense. Totally. Yeah. So that's what I'm really, really interested in. Right. So that's what inspired you to create this workshop, mm. you say. Yeah, totally. So sort of trying to teach other theatre or arts practitioners how they can also incorporate this into their own practice. Yeah, and through, I guess, through the lens of their own practice like I am from the beginning I'm very clear about the fact that this is through my own I've formed this through my own practice and Mm -hmm. kind of trial and error over the last eight years that I've been studying and working as a live performer but Mm -hmm. it's different for everyone because there are different rules of interaction for everyone's own culture and there's different rules of respect and you know I think a very there's a very fine line between bringing your culture into a space and appropriating your own culture mm. in a space and that's something that I really want to address because I feel like often in this city there is a 
very few opportunities for us as culturally and linguistically diverse artists. <laughs> um, there's very few opportunities. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. I'll take it. Yeah. yeah, very few opportunities for us to step in and own a space and feel safe within a space. And sometimes, if not a lot of the time, when we do that, we're expected to create a version of ourselves um, for the companies that we work for, for the Mm. audiences, the subscribers. And that can often be really harmful. Um, And it can be really disempowering if you're a singular person in that space, if Mm. there's no one else around who kind of understands or there's no one you can talk to or, you know, you're like, I'm just here, I'm just, you know, I'm making it, I want to work as an artist, I want to be recognised on my own Mm. merit, but at the same time you can feel really disempowered by being isolated. So the workshop's also about telling, like, letting people know other ways of working that they don't just have to work in a particular way to be able to create theatre that is successful and will sell, you know, sell seats, as well as giving them, I guess, a a chance to network with other artists who are interested in creating work that they may not be aware of or Mm. are already creating work and the language that they need to feel empowered in those spaces. Mm -hmm. Because I really just want all of us to go out there and just kick butt. (laughs) I love that. Yes, I agree. (laughs) It's all about supporting one another and working towards that. But I guess you saying that it comes back to the whole idea that we're talking about a lot today, representation. Mm. I think think it's really important that there are diverse stories, but that diverse doesn't uh, denote anyone who's not Caucasian or white Mm. and that it's an inclusive word and not everyone else. Well, that's an issue that (laughs) I have. I actually spoke about this with Johan before, that I feel that diversity and inclusion these days is centred around whiteness because we're still othered. When people talk about diversity and inclusion, they're not talking about white people. No. They're talking about literally everybody else that isn't white and bringing them into the mix. Exactly. Or like they might be white, but they might have a disability or they might identify as LGBTIQ plus or something, but they're not the dominant culture, which is terrifying in itself that it's been turned into that exactly like it's Mm. been completely hijacked and Mm. I feel like on face level so many so many theater companies that I see uh are just turning it into kind of POC representation um and so much deeper yeah exactly and so I think this idea of a cultural advisor coming through more and more is kind of a way for it's a way for People to be able to say, hey, we're telling the stories that you said we're not telling and Mm. we're hiring the actors that you said we're not hiring. But the director, the producer, the writer are all still white people. Yeah. And so to make sure that we don't offend anyone, that we're being respectful, we're going to hire a cultural advisor. Mm. So I think that, yes, that there should be someone in the room when you're dealing with other people's ethnicities because the homogenization of oppression and trauma mm-hmm. um, is a colonial structure that totally. I think is really, really, really damaging and nobody is ready, in terms of those companies, is ready to admit that they still kind of reinforce. And so, therefore, specificity is really important. Mm-hmm. It's so important to, like, mm-hmm. have someone from that community come in. But it's also a Band-Aid. Yeah. And it's ignoring the fact that still the director, the writer, the producer, and not from these communities. And Mm. so even though it's our faces and it's our stories, it's through their eyes. Yeah. 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 So, you know, with you, you and Aisha, Ash run Blackbirds, which 
I think I love Blackbirds. I think all the work that you we do. We love you. <laughs> Thank you. But I think all the work that you do is incredible. Like Thank I just you. remember seeing Brown Skin Girl and I just it uh, like even just thinking about it now I'm just like oh my gosh like <laughs> it was so incredible to go and see a theater production mm. that was you know women of color talking about the experiences that women of color like namely brown and black women have living in Australia mm. and it's very hard to come across pieces like that and when you're watching like when I was watching it I was like this is like kind of my life like <laughs> in a play mm. and there's so many things like elements within this that I can relate to and the fact that you know you wrote it as well as you know produced it and acted in it it makes an entire different thing because you're not looking at it through a white lens you're looking at it through the lens of people of color so it changes the entire narrative how did you like how did Blackbird sort of come together so in, I graduated 2014, mm-hmm. 2015. I was kind of like, okay, I just want to do something. Yeah. I don't, I'm not, a lot of the work that I was auditioning for was like interesting, but it wasn't the kind of work I was interested in mm-hmm. specifically. So uh, I applied for a residency at Q Theatre mm-hmm. um, with the help of More Blessing, actually. Oh, um, More Blessing, what a start. Yeah, she <laughs> sent me an email and was like, hey, there's this residency and the application's closed tomorrow. Do you have an idea? Let's put on an application. And I was like, okay, sure. Yep. And managed to come up with a creative team and a concept that I've been sitting on for a while, mm-hmm. which was that I I guess because I said before, like I come from, yeah, from communal performance, like mm-hmm. everything about m- my Pacific Island culture as a Fijian and a Tokelauan woman, but specifically Tokelauan is very, very cute everything's about community and it's Mm -hmm. about helping one another. And so that translates into performance. So I'd always have this image in my head, like not always, but for like five years Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, uh, of a work that had like five to seven women of Mm colour, black and brown women on a stage together, Mm. telling their own stories, singing, dancing, just Mm -hmm. kind of, um, and feeding in and out of their own, of one another's stories mm-hmm. um, and supporting one another as a chorus. And so we applied for this residency at Q Theatre and got it. I had already booked tickets to go overseas, so I couldn't be part of that version of the show, which right. is where Aisha took over as ah, okay. director. And so I kind of just did all the moving parts and then mm-hmm. disappeared and was sad, but was really happy <laughs> for them as well because they did really, really well. Yeah. But in between that first residency and that first showing at Festival Fatal in 2016, we recognised that we had to become a collective. Mm. Uh, there's no way that we're going to change the language, from our perspective yeah. anyway, there's no way we're going to change the language of the worlds that we're trying to kind of enter into if there's just two of us, um, but also if we're just actors. Mm. So that's when we started kind of working in visual art and experimental film and live performance outside of theatre spaces Mm -hmm. um, because we recognise that our communities don't go to theatre. And they do, but not as much as we want them to. Mm. Um, And audience out people turning up to our work is just as important, if not more important to us, because I think that encourages critical discourse and therefore challenges you to be better practitioners, Mm. more accountable to your community, and also just changes the experience and for in terms of for the mental health for the performers, Mm -hmm. um, being able to feel that validation from your community, but also not just not feeling like you're re-traumatising yourself Mm. every night for an audience that 
is not, uh, I guess... completely understand the nuance behind what you're talking about. Exactly. Like, sympathetic at best and apathetic at worst. Yeah. So we were like, okay, we've got to start working in different spaces. We've got to work with other women. It can't Mm. just be about us because the answer to the problem is actually much bigger than two people who just want to create a theatre show together. Mm. So Aisha and I have just slowly been building it since then into (laughs) what it is now. And, yeah, it's been amazing. Like, we've been able to bring audiences from venues to different events and Mm. and new audiences, people that we have never met before, have brought other people from events after having a good experience. And, And so it really speaks to the fact that you just have to kind of reach out when you're kind of, I guess, for us at least, when we're feeling helpless, it's much more uh, helpful to kind of reach forward than to lean back. No, completely. Yeah. I think, yeah, the way that you do it is, it's beautiful. Because I think for me, like, my understanding from when I was young because of where I grew up Mm. and the people that I knew, like I grew up in a very white area and I grew up in um, like Newtown and then the South. Mm. And so I felt like I was very distant from certain communities that I wanted access to. And mm. so when I like heard of Blackbirds and then heard of like, you know, even like Gianna Hazy with Between Two Worlds and The mm. Young Cast and then More Blessing and Afro Sisters and seeing that they were just artists of color doing incredible stuff Mm. like seeing that Mm. it was like it's a very empowering feeling to know that there are people out there that are advocating through the arts for their communities and creating community as well because that's Mm. what you've essentially done is you've created a community like the lunar sequence event that you had recently you're supporting Mm. local like emerging artists that are creating incredible work Mm. and it's really powerful for them to have that support network there's maybe when you were younger you might not have had that so the fact that you're able to be that for other people is it's a really big deal so I think I commend you and Ayesha for all your work I think it's really great thank you yeah I think yeah I love it (laughs) love it what does representation mean to you and why does it matter to you I think that my answers to that question changes every time I open a book Mm -hmm. and watch a video on YouTube. When I first started this journey, representation was about creating the work that I wanted to be in. Mm. Um, And it started from a very selfish point and just wanting to see myself reflected Mm -hmm. as a, I guess, half Tokelawa and half Fijian woman Mm -hmm. raised, born in New Zealand, but raised in Australia. Um, what is that? How, does anyone speak to the complexity of that experience? Mm. But I think now for me, representation is about stepping back and it's about upskilling mm. and it's about actually being really honest with myself and the people around me about how complex that question really is and how much it can't. If you really want to talk about it, you have to address what's hap- what happens at home. Mm. And the racial, social, gender, economic disparities between our communities mm-hmm. and how they even affect whether people consider the arts mm. as something that they're interested in and therefore whether they consider seeing themselves represented or wanting to represent other people. Mm. Yeah, it's... The more I kind of learn about it and the more I'm like, oh, I'm so passionate about it, the more I realise that there are so many intersections in this world that aren't even spoken to at all and not represented that I need to 
I guess, do my best to share my knowledge about in terms of mm. stepping into spaces to mm. be better represent themselves and then step back. So you know what I love though? Every time, you know, I speak to people of color or people just who have experienced marginalization because of their identity, it's like we're always thinking about how we can share our knowledge with others mm. so that we can all rise. And I find that I find that really beautiful and empowering, but I also just find it frustrating because I see that the <laughs> dominant culture is not doing that. Yeah. And that's why I even wanted to talk about representation in general is because there's a lot of talk about representation mm. by people that might identify as the dominant culture, but then when it comes to practicing what they preach, it's not actually being done. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, that's why I find it very intriguing that it's like we are the ones that are putting in all the work mm. to change things. And why is that the case? Like, mm. why why isn't everyone just thinking the same the way that we are thinking <laughs> and being like, let's all rise together. Like, yeah. what's going on? <laughs> like, the fact that you're able to think about taking a step back for others, it's a huge thing because a lot of people don't think like that. Mm. But it's a very important thing to acknowledge because without taking a step back and letting others rise, mm. then we're not doing like we're doing a great disservice to our entire society and mm. communities. It's so hard. Like I find it's so hard to find the right language to ask people to do that. Mm. Like really asking people who are in positions of power to, and who say that they're allies to genuinely stop what they're doing and mm. quit their jobs or... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like yeah, actually just quit like, your job. Can you actually just go home? Uh, maybe um, you shouldn't be the Indigenous envoy. No shade. <laughs> Well, not all. Um, but the or create pathways um, for people to move up within organisations mm. is it's so difficult to navigate because of that. Because you, I guess, either you go hard, you go home, and you just mm. call it out for what it is, yeah. which kind of plays into that call out culture, and you kind of put an X on your head, mm. which can be positive in two ways, or positive or negative, because yeah, people, way. yeah. <laughs> Or you kind of are left to kind of navigate it to make sure that you're still afloat and within the industry and working and connected to those people, but also in a way that you're kind of having to to um, protect yourself. Mm. So I I feel like either way, <laughs> like hiding or being like at the very front of the conversation is it's it's hard. But I feel like we're, because you're right, we're so used to kind of making sacrifices and navigating those spaces that it's easier for us to turn around and say okay all right I'll take I'll take one for the team yeah then to kind of engage with mm. with the other side Ooh. yeah <laughs> <laughs> sometimes you know you gotta do it there yeah thank you thanks. so much thanks for, for having me in. so maybe just to reiterate your workshop is on the 6th of October yep so I'm doing two workshops. I'm mm -hmm. going to do one this Saturday. Was so I supposed Saturday, to say that? Saturday. Saturday. That's fine. You can <laughs> say that. Um, uh, so I'm doing one workshop on Saturday, the 6th of October from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. And that'll be in Sydney. And one on the 27th of October from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. And that'll be in Melbourne. Oh, that's cool that you're doing yeah. two different locations. Yeah. So where can we find information about these workshops? I'll make sure I put the links in the pages. Well. Oh, yep. So um, you can find the information <laughs> on my website. Uh, if you type in www.kanakai.com slash workshops, it will have information on both workshops and lead you. You can click the link to 
by reserve a spot. Um, and there's also payment plans for anyone who can't afford to pay the fee Love straight it. out because yeah. um, I totally acknowledge that people yeah. have bills to pay and they're very expensive cities that we live in. Yeah. Australia is an expensive place. It really is. Yes. Well, thank you so much, Emily. I'll make sure I put all of that information for you so you can have a look at it and so that you can follow Blackbirds, Emily, everything. Amazing. Thank uh, you. Thank you. If you have the power to represent, to champion representation in a holistic way, I do encourage you to do so because it's really important for our society as a whole. Like it's beneficial it's mutually beneficial it's beneficial in every sense of the word so you know don't be afraid to encourage diversity of thought within your respective organizations communities whatever spaces that you inhabit because it does change a lot like we have to challenge each other with different opinions in order to grow as people and I think that's something that's really important to remember something that's also really important to remember and that is not related to this is a regular fit so I'll be throwing a party if you want to come and have a little chat or chat further about representation to me in person I'll be at the Red Rattler 5th of October there's gonna be a party it's free it's a wheelchair accessible venue this party that I throw it's a part of a DJ workshop program that I run with Music New South Wales as well as a showcase and it's all about giving artists or DJs aspiring emerging established DJs who experience marginalization because of their identities an opportunity like a platform to play in front of an audience it's quite fun there's visuals I hope to see you there uh other than that I'll see you next week and we'll chat then bye